Hello, and welcome to our Industry Insider podcast, brought to you by LiveRead LA. I'm Tim Schulberger, LiveRead's founder, director, and host. This podcast brings you the Q&A sessions from one of our LiveRead LA events. It was recorded in front of a live audience in a Los Angeles theater. If you don't know about us, every six weeks we hold a reading. Really amazing professional actors read up to 30 pages each from two scripts selected from those entered in previous weeks. We get an industry insider to attend and we give feedback to the writers of each script. This is not a backslapping ego stroke. We exist to help writers make their scripts better. We're a community that cares and a creative safe space. Once we're done shredding the writers, I'm just kidding, we do a Q&A with our special guest. I ask some questions and then the audience gets their turn. Today, you get to hear the wonderful Mickey Fisher, creator of the CBS series Extant, which starred Halle Berry. Mickey's also the creator of the NBC series Reverie, which will debut in early 2018. Mickey's story gives us all hope. As a fellow writer, I know I wake up every day hoping what happened to Mickey will happen to me, and more importantly, that I'll handle it with the grace and class Mickey has shown. I'll be back at the end with some more info about us and how you can participate. For now, ladies and gentlemen and fellow suffering writers, may I present Mickey Fisher, recorded live in Los Angeles. Right. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so, thank you for coming. Are you having fun? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's a great way to spend my birthday. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, just for people who don't know you, tell your story, how you got in. I was born in Ireton, Ohio, which is uh, my birth uh, on this 44 day. years ago yeah. on this day. May, actually, maybe like about two hours from now. Um, no, so I... So I I grew up doing theater and actually went to school to be uh, to uh, conservatory music in Cincinnati for musical theater uh, to be an actor. Um, and uh, that's what I thought I really wanted to do. But while I was there, a couple things happened, which was like my teacher said, look, you're, you're a character guy. You're not really going to work till you're in your 40s. Uh, which I am. And now, maybe it's the time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, right. I, I hit it. Yeah. Four years ago. Halfway through. Uh, but, but they said, you're not really going to work till you're in your 40s. And the other thing that happened is they started... Um, really being more interested in the writing. Like even my freshman year, um, I started going to this art house theater uh, called the Esquire Theater in, in this little area called Ludlow. And it's a time when there's a ton of like independent film coming out. And Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez and Allison Anders, all these people were putting out uh, these these uh, indie. Theater. And so I was all of a sudden I was going to see these movies where the people were making for thousands of dollars. You know, like the case of you know Robert Rodriguez who was funding it from uh, you know medical testing and things like that too. And, and so I started. Um, I started writing things for myself to perform because I thought I don't want to. I don't want to wait till I'm in my 40s. I want to. I'm going to create my own opportunities. I want to write the characters that I really want to play. Um, and I started writing other things for people, audition, audition monologues, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and by the time I left school, I really wanted to be a writer more than I wanted to be uh, an actor. And, uh, my girlfriend is here with me tonight. I met her. About, we were doing Summer Stock, Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, little theater. I was the voice of the plant. She was Audrey. Um, and out of that time, she would like to, you know, she tells us right now, like, I was always in the corner writing. You know, like, my head was always sort of you know, in the page. And I had much more discipline to do that than I do now. So, um, spent fast forward 20 years. So, I spent 20 years uh, writing features, making my own independent uh, features, writing plays. Uh, putting up my own work, producing my own things. I never wanted to wait for somebody to give me an opportunity. I, I started writing, and then I thought, well, I'm, if, if no one else is going to produce myself, I'll produce it myself, I'll direct it, I'll grab all my friends, I'll be in it, I'll edit it, I'll, I'll pay for it, I'll go on the road and sell merchandise on her tour of Annie for uh, a year and sell T-shirts to pay my movie off, you know, things like that. So I spent 20 years doing that. Uh, we lived in New York, and about five, five six years ago, uh, you know, we had this conversation. I was like, look, I'm, 
I'm not really meeting people who are doing the thing I who work at the level I want to work at, who are doing the kind of thing that I want to do. Um, I think I have to be in Los Angeles. There's so much more happening, and that the days of selling a big spec script, uh, feature script are maybe over. But there are all these writers' rooms, and they need tons of writers. Uh, and Julia at the time said, "Well, you know, I'll go back to grad school, and, and so let's do it." So we moved out to uh, Orange County. Uh, I didn't really know anybody in the business. Um, and so I, I, I did look up uh, you know, TJ and the, uh, the Coronet Writers Lab, which is how I met Tim and met some of these other guys. I started driving up one day a week for a few months and, uh, and doing the same thing that you guys did tonight, uh, working, you know, working with actors and, and continually rewriting. It was, a, it was a really good time and friendships that continue to this day. Um, and then I entered this, con I didn't know anybody, so I started entering contests. I was putting stuff up on the blacklist. I was the Nickel Fellowship, you name it. I was just submitting to all kinds of contests. And then one of the contests, I wrote this this pilot script. I, I, the other thing is, I, I'm sorry, this is long wind, long with an okay. answer. Uh, <laughs> I got, I got another question. <laughs> I know, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so I leave time for questions. I didn't know how to write television. I knew how to write features. I knew how to write uh, plays, fully plays. But I, didn't, I realized when I moved out here, like I, the, that job that I wanted, I didn't really know how to do. So I spent months just like with a remote in one hand and a and a notebook in the other, and just watching my favorite episodes of my favorite shows, Doctor Who, Friday Night Lights, uh, Breaking Bad, Lost, and I would watch them and, and just like break them down, almost like you know, like a, a blueprint. Okay, this show has a teaser and five acts, and each one of those is about this this long, and each one of them has about this many scenes. Um, and started really on the structure over the course of you know a, a number of months, five or six months, and then I wrote one pilot that was kind of like a, and I actually read it in the lab once. Uh, it was called Hopewell, and it was kind of like a grown-up Stephen King, uh, grown-up Stephen King thing. Um, and that was the first one. It was okay. It was like it was it was pretty good. But then I wrote this one called Extant. Um, I entered into a contest. Um, uh, I, I wrote it, and there was like this whole virgin birth in space. Then the movie Prometheus came out, and I thought, well, that's it. It's done. There was like a virgin birth in space. It'll be a good writing sample. Nothing will ever happen with it. Uh, but I knew it was the best thing I'd written. Um, and then that next March came around, I entered in this contest, the Tracking BTV Pilot Contest. Uh, and a couple of days, a couple of weeks later, I got a call from this guy saying, like, you're, you didn't win, you're one of our finalists, but you'll, uh, we're, we're going to try to get this in the hands of some people who can help you, agents, managers, you might start getting some calls. And, uh, and so I did. I started the next couple of days, starting getting some calls. On Saturday, I got the call from this guy named Brooklyn Weaver, who is my manager now. And he was like, look, I, he's like, I'm only like halfway through this thing, but it's great. I think I could change your life with this if you, you, know, if you want to sign with me. I, I know a few people we can slip this to. He's like, the business is what it is. There are no guarantees. Um, you said no, right? Yeah, I said no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I said, look, man, I'm, I got a good thing going in Orange County yeah. here. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I got to sit right next to you. Exactly. I'm watching very straight. That's why I'm only on season four of Lost, man. Right. I can't do this. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, he, that night he started sitting around, and like it, it, um, the, the next thing that happens, my script just found its way, you know, all in all these in, inboxes around town, and it it was sort of um, validated the thing I always believed, which is you, you know, if you had the right thing at the right time. I wrote this like grounded sci-fi thing, it had a female lead, um, and it was the thing that a lot of people were looking for in the moment, and um, and all of a sudden I had you know like I was all these calls, and meetings, and um, flash forward two weeks later, I was just, I signed with WME, and then the next day they said like. Well, look, this aliens and robots, this weird story. Let's send it. Let's go straight to the top. Let's send it to Steven Spielberg and see what he thinks. And uh, Julie was in the other room at the time, and I was on speakerphone taking notes, and I was trying to play it cool, like, okay, yeah, that sounds like a really good story. <laughs> <laughs> and I hang up the phone, and I'm like, Julie, she's like, I heard. And, you know, and then she went back to like doing her, you know, doing her homework for grad school, and I was just like staring at the wall, like, 
this is nuts. Like this is insane. Um, and then and then uh, you know Corsario to call like the, you know the, his company will like it. And then they, the next step is they say we don't do anything unless he likes it. He read it, liked it, and uh, and and I'm I, you know, I've been going crazy since I, we did the show two seasons of it. And uh, yeah, it's been it's an, been an amazing uh, amazing ride. But it, the two things that sort of like going back to the two things that validated the one thing which is I always believe which is like if you keep writing and keep writing and putting stuff out there, you're eventually going to have that one thing that somebody's looking for. Uh, and then the other thing was like it does take a little bit of luck. Like at any point, you know, like this is the thing that keeps me awake at night. Sometimes when I'm like, you know, and I'm like my heart will start pounding, which is like at any point somebody be like, you know, this is really for me. I put it to the side. Like it, it, it could have gone a thousand different ways. So, um, but but you but you can't take advantage of those opportunities if you're not putting yourself out there and writing new things. Um, so yeah. So that's the, the short the short of it. So, so yeah. Thank you. So after extant. Yep. So I mean I I don't have your story. I have a smaller version of the story where I did a show for the Travel Channel and I thought, I'm in. Yep. It's all going to be gravy. Hooray. Their offers are going to come flooding in and now I can choose my next project. Hooray. And then it didn't happen like that. No. So uh, what happened after exiting? Well, I'll tell you what happened like, I'll tell you what happened the day uh, after the pilot aired. Uh, the day after the pilot aired was pretty good. Like, you know, a bunch of people tuned in. It was pretty cool. And it's like there was a big push for it. And, and uh, there were billboards around town. It was, it was great. And they promoted it really well. Um, and, and so the pilots who came and went, it was kind of okay. Like the numbers were okay, uh, but I sort of felt this like tension around in it. You know, everybody was saying like, you know, don't think about the numbers, don't think about the numbers. But the first thing you do like the next morning is like, you know, you're like looking at the numbers, you know, TV by numbers, what do we do? And then the second week there was like a big drop off. And so, uh, so right then we knew it was sort of an uphill, you know, an uphill battle and the show was expensive. Uh, we shot here in LA. Uh, we had a, a, you know, an Oscar winner, you know, who was, who was star, who was great to work with. Um, and, but but we always struggled to find our audience after that, you know, and and we managed to squeak in a second season, and uh, and then we got the axe. Uh, we were in uh, Denver when I got the call uh, from CBS. We were driving back cross country, and I woke up to the call from uh, the president of CBS saying, "Look, we like the show. It's really expensive, and, and doesn't financially work out for us." And and uh, you know, hopefully, we worked again. And then the great thing was, like, we we were in in the Rocky Mountains, like. An hour later, I had no cell service, so I couldn't like you know like torture myself by reading about it or like take all the calls. That's just great. So to go back to your question, I went back to writing the next thing. So I, I mean, I got very lucky. Um, I, I I got a call that fall because the show ended in like in the fall. I got a call about the show called uh, called Mars. It was going to be on Nat Geo. I did that for a couple months, and it was so basically like January, February, March. And the moment it ended, I wrote the, the pilot that I'm working, the, the, the pilot for the show I'm working on now called Reverie. And I had been interested in this idea about virtual reality and, and um, the idea about people getting getting trapped inside this fully immersive virtual reality program and the idea of like the company would hire a former hostage negotiator to go in and pull them out. Um, and I didn't tell anybody it existed because I'd done this thing for a couple months where I would like send stuff to my agents, managers, like an idea, a log line idea. And 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 you know they, and they would do what they're supposed to do, which say, look, there's this thing, you know, across town is kind of like that, or some other writer did this, or and so so. But I didn't tell anybody that it existed. I just wrote the pilot again on spec. I had pretty good luck with the, with Excellent, and um, and so I, I wrote I wrote this pilot called Reverie. Uh, again, another sort of grounded sci-fi thing with another another female uh, female lead, and and finally gave it to them like in May of last year. And uh, the agents, and we went back to Amblin because I had a great time working with them, and they were awesome partners. And uh, and to my shock and surprise again, because I thought the same thing. I was like, you only get you only get your around so many times, <laughs> you know. Like if this, uh, but to my surprise, they were interested in it, and we took it, and we and again, it was something that 
specifically NBC was looking for, like the, you know, grounded, something like an emotional procedural that had an episodic <laughs> engine and a female lead and was sort of grounded sci-fi thing. So they, uh, had, they had that on a list. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. uh, and not everybody was looking for that. Right. <laughs> uh, but it, but it fit. Uh, it, again, I sort of, sort of like wrote something that was threaded a narrow, uh, narrow needle. And um, so now we're working on the show. We're, we're in the writers' room right now. We're going to start shooting in a month, and then it'll air after the uh, Winter Olympics at some point. Why did you feel the need to write? Don't writers, once you're in the door, can't you just pitch and they pay you to write the script and all that? You wrote that on your own, don't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, and absolutely, and there are certain people, like, there are plenty of writers who, like, they want somebody to pay them to write the right. pilot, and I totally, I totally get that, too. I find that my, um, my, I feel like, here's the thing, I feel like if I'd gone out to pitch Exton, and I would have said, it's about this, uh, Astronaut, female astronaut who goes to space for this 13-month solo mission, and when she comes home, she finds out she's pregnant, and that would have probably been like the end of the pitch. But the second I said, and then she has a robot kid, <laughs> like people would have been like, actually not. It's got to be one of the two things. You know, like so in development, half of that would have been stripped out. Um, and then, but to me, ultimately, what it was about was a story about a family, like an extraordinary family, um, and and the, and the varying degrees of sort of pushing the boundaries of human evolution and retaining our humanity and all that stuff. Um, and so, so you know, there's that thing execution based. You know, a lot of people say like, you know, something is execution based. And I find that my stuff is, tends to be more like they're 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 sound complicated and convoluted when I try to explain them. Um, and the more that I can control that on, if more that I can win that battle on the page instead of like a pitch, uh, the better. So I just and also it's sort of like gambling on yourself. You know, I feel like at a certain at a certain point, you know, I. I, I I wanted to gamble on myself again because I believe in the idea, and I believe if I if I went out to pitch it, it it, it would have died on the box. So, how does it go? Because I'm going to guess most of the writers in the room here dream of winning a competition and having Steven Spielberg on the phone saying, "Come on now." <laughs> uh, and then and then what happens? You get put in a room with like I want to say I don't mean this in a disparaging no, way, no. but like professionals, and we're like 100. What? To, how do you? What? Well, the first thing they do is give you a grown up. Like if you're if you're coming from the outside and you've never, I mean, that was my first job in television, right. um, and these are like major corporations, it's tens of millions of dollars. So I'm not going to hand. It's like open heart surgery. Like you know, they wouldn't take like a you know somebody out of med school. Like you know, I read a lot of books, and they're like you know like give them a. <laughs> I watched a lot of medical videos. Yeah, here here's the scalpel. Just the heart needs you know yeah. we need this heart out and that heart in. Like they wouldn't do that to you, right? So they give you a grown up. So in my case, it's it's a little bit of an arranged marriage. So the agency there they set up meetings with a number of showrunners people who were real steady hands they've done you know broadcast network broadcast uh one hour dramas and and i met with them and, and you sit down with them in amble and it is like a little bit like an arranged marriage um and and you just sort of find the person who you click with the most and the person who fits so mine the first season it was this guy greg walker and um and he and i clicked right away over the story he had a kid who was about the uh two, he had a couple kids but one of them was about the age of the kid in the show and we talked baseball, like his kid in baseball and stuff like that too. And we sort of bonded over, over family. And he, you know, he comes from a, a you know, has a, a faith side that's sort of similar to, you know, to mine and the same questions. And so, uh, so right away we felt like this is this is a good fit. Um, so yeah, and, and and I'm still doing that. So the same thing happened with with Reverie. That was two seasons. We had different showrunners the second season. So there was a bit of a creative uh, reboot on accent. Um, I went through the Reverie pilot process without a showrunner. But when it got we got close, we weren't sure if it was going to be like twenty two episodes, twenty three episodes. There there is this emotional procedural, which is something I've never written before. I tend to write mostly like fully serialized stuff, uh, and it's a new network. So I was really happy to have a partner, and then we found this, this partner, this guy named Thompson Georgie. Um, and same thing, had a meeting with him, 
he and I clicked. He's a he's a, you know very very nice guy and really smart and thoughtful, um, and so we clicked right away. And, and so so for now, still I have somebody who's in charge who's leading it. Which thank God because every day I learn something. Every day I go, God, is, I'm glad you're here because I would never have thought of that. And that's you know I'm sure it'll be another five to ten years of that. I, mean, I learn stuff every day that I think. Um, I'm sure, and I'm sure even I'm sure he feels the same way. You know, like there's still stuff that he's learning. So it may be a few few more years before anybody hands me the scalpel. <laughs> <laughs> this is the last one. Then we'll, then we'll throw it over sure. to, to what Halle Berry's really like questions. <laughs> I would be happy to spill. On that awesome. Was it now looking back? Was it what you thought it would be when you were when you're on the outside looking in? You're like, if I could just win this comp- freaking competition and get you know a meeting with Steven Spielberg, everything would be different. Now, uh, was it like that? In in a lot of ways, yeah. Like in a lot of ways, there were, there were things that were different. And in a lot of ways, no. It's like I'm still the same person, and I'm still like, uh, you know, still walk the dog at night, and we still, you know, like that. Uh, but uh, I mean, there's there are certain things that, like, when you get in the inside, like the really cool moments, the ones where you step back and go, like, well, obviously, like meeting him for the first time, or talking and pitching, you know, sci-fi ideas with him, and you go, this guy made a team. <laughs> like you can't you can't handle it, right? But there's a moment, and, and people sort of always ask, like, what are your favorite moments? And there's a there's a moment that's sort of happening right now too with Reverie where. You're talking about the stuff, you know. It starts on the page. Like I lived with this for a year before anybody ever really, you know, else came in the sandbox. And now I'm walking through like the production offices, and there's like a day where all of a sudden the stuff that you talk about starts showing up at artwork on the walls. Mm-hmm. And that thing is like cooler than any because it's like somebody took your imagination and probably really talented artists and craftspeople uh, start bringing that to life. And then at one point, I'm going to cry when I start talking about this. So by the way, don't feel bad because I'm like, a, I'm listening. My girlfriend will say like, I'll cry at the drop of the hat. That's why we're here. Absolutely. You get bleed it out on the page. Uh, but at a certain point, you you walk onto a soundstage and it exists in a three-dimensional space. And it's fucking bananas. <laughs> You're like, I'm walking through my imagination right now. Like I, 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 I dreamed up this space station and it exists. Uh, and I can walk through it now. And that part is like never not cool. Um, and then other parts of it are like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, every day. Like, I, we had one thing I learned from Tom today we were joking about too, which is like, um, the, the quote was like, when does sales mode stop? Because you're always trying, like, you know, the, the, every document, I'm sure you guys have been through this too, it's like every story area, every outline, every script is, you know, you're in sales mode. You're trying to, like, keep pushing this thing forward. And then you're selling the show to the audience and stuff too. And, and Tom was like, when does sales mode end? And he started laughing. He goes, when you get canceled. And I go, yeah, yeah, <laughs> sales mode ends, you get canceled. So, so there all that, all that great stuff. And then there's a lot of, like, the, like, I definitely, there are moments where you hear, okay, like, here's the next. The hurdle we have to cross, and that's hard. And um, so, yeah. But I, I mean, there's not a day goes by I don't feel like super lucky. Okay, I did say last moment. I do have one more. Just, just from the writing point of view, doing the pilot, how many rewrites was it? You said it took you a year. The Reverie one. Yeah, I mean, the the first from the time I I only say that because we really harp here on rewrites. There's a absolutely. lot of writers, as you know, at the beginning, it's like it's perfect. Right. I'm not listening to you. You're wrong. Exactly. Uh, you don't get it. Yeah, right, you don't right. get it. And, I, uh, and even even, <laughs> even Randall, I'm I'm keeping this line. Yeah, it's yeah. like are we to- we've all been there. For sure. And, and so so what was your what's your process? I think by the time. So I, sort of the process would be like I have a couple friends who read things through first. They're my like they're my buddies, and, who, and they'll get the first draft of it, and then it'll go to my manager Brooklyn, and I'll, and he'll he'll have some thoughts, and I'll you know take those into account. Um, by the time it reaches him, it's gone through about three drafts, four drafts, um, and then by the time it goes to the agency, agency about another another one, maybe like five. By Amblin, six. Uh, by CBS or NBC, but this time it was probably like you know, six or seven drafts. 
Um, and then and then that development process starts with them because they bought the spec script, but they had you know like notes and changes and things too. So I re rewrote it from. I probably did another three drafts from October uh, through January when we got the pilot pickup, uh, and then rewrote it all the way up to uh, and and then through the first couple of days of shooting. So it was it's a constant process like that. And so, how much of the original exists in the current? Um, I would say like about a good sixty percent because the thing that stayed pretty. Uh, it's a, it's it's sort of you know it's a premise pilot in the sense of like you know I got to bring this character into this new world. It's a little like a you know Doctor Doctor Carter uh, on a first day on the job you know in ER like I had to set up this thing about uh, who this person is. Um, they bring her into the company. She learns about the world. There's a bit of a you know a training sequence for her um, and learning. So that part all stayed pretty pretty uh, steady. But the part that I struggle with and the part the reason we get why it's great to have a showrunner who's done these kind of stories is like the sort of mystery, the emotional procedural of it, and the and the pieces of the mystery and how those things lay out. That stuff changed pretty regularly. And even this is a crazy story. Uh, we were in Vancouver. You know, we shoot the pilot. Um, we did a table read with the cast. We were all in Vancouver, and we were like on live via video uh, to to people from NBC, everybody back home who was watching it there. And then we had a notes call with them afterwards. And uh, and we got the first thing we get from after the table is like, this is great. They love it. It's really good stuff. Really good stuff. And they were like waiting, waiting. It's like an hour, and I'm thinking like thinking about the discussions going back. And the longer it goes, I'm like the worse it is. Uh, but like it was two days before we started shooting, and they were like. We, the, there was a pitch for adding this other character, and uh, and I was so frustrated because I knew they were absolutely 100% right, and it was going to be a lot of work over that weekend before we started shooting, uh, but it made the pilot so much better. So even, I mean, there was, a, and then a week later, this like this little girl existed on set. There was an actress playing this little girl, uh, you know, a week later, fully in costume, saying her lines on the thing, and she didn't exist a week before uh, in the pilot stage. So, um, so yeah, that that it's a it's a harrowing process. It's a little like. You know, holding on by your fingertips the whole time. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, it, but it, hey, at least you get paid. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Absolutely. So, okay, so do we have any um, Halley or non Halley related questions? <laughs> so, uh, non Okay, very good. <laughs> Mate, it's just me. I have Jets and Halley Berry questions. That's all I got. <laughs> when you uh, wrote XN, did you know where the series was going to go, or did you sell it and be like, oh shit, now I need to map out the story? No, I, I mean, I basically wrote for myself after, and I had a year before anybody like heard about it. So I, so, but the first thing I did was write a series overview for myself. You know, I thought about where these characters would go, and uh, it's the smartest thing I did, and I did it by accident, because the first thing that happens when you, you when I went in to sit down with Amblin was they were like, so where do you see this going? You know, what are the what how, what are the stories? What how, what's this character's emotional story? How how does it you know where do you see it next season? Do you have an overall plan? And I had answers for a lot of those questions because I'd done that work. And I even to a point um, wrote a, a, a second episode of it just on my own. I didn't tell anybody about uh, even even into it, but but I could speak to certain moments. I go here. There's you know there's a scene coming up like this, and I could pitch the scene out you know and since too. Um, it was, I was essentially writing like fan fiction for my own show that didn't exist yet. You know? <laughs> but I had tons of, I, but because of that, and I think this is a huge thing, and I think it's a big part of why I, 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 I kept going through the doors, is because I had answers to a lot of those questions. But saying, this could all change, but here's what I was thinking. I think this would be really cool if, it, if this, like, if it went here. And made it a bit of yes and with them as, you know, if they had ideas and thoughts to like, to, to, 
to take it as a collaborative exercise in whatever meeting I was in, whether it was with Amblin, CBS at that point. I, you know, I, I would I would pitch it like here's where I think it could go, and they go, well, maybe you could do this, and I go, yes, that would be cool because, you know, or or that sounds really cool. I should think about that. You know, so, um, that answer your question. <laughs> yeah. Very good. And I did it with Reverie too. Same thing. I wrote like a very, uh, you know, for myself like a ten page series overview about the character and where she would go. All the hijinks. The All the hijinks. hijinks. <laughs> exactly. In virtual reality. Anyone else? Yes, I see an arm in the back there. Yes, um, I just wanted to ask, you, uh, you created a show with a female lead, and uh, I felt that your show came on, it was quite ahead of the conversation about diversity inclusivity. Um, in, what were the reasons for that? Was you, you, were you inspired by the movies, like the aliens and stuff like that, or did, was you aware of the sort of the lack of great roles for, for women? I think, I mean, first and foremost, I was aware of my own deficiency, which is that I wasn't writing very good female characters. I was writing a lot of, like, you know, male yes. characters and the dudes, and the women were, like, you know, they were, the female characters were the, the wife or the girl. That. And so it was a challenge for myself, first and foremost, to uh, to, to, to do that. And, and also, but there was also a moment where I was thinking, like, as I was writing it, there was, you know, Breaking Bad and, and Mad Men and all these shows where there was, like, the sort of male anti-hero of it, too. And I wanted to write somebody who, I was like, there's a niche here for uh, not not just a female lead, but somebody who was, like, a not an anti-hero, too. Somebody who's, you know, good-hearted who wants to do the right thing. Who, you know, a, 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 an ordinary person, extraordinary position. Or I would say, like, an extraordinary person with an impossible uh, situation. Um, because she's an astronaut, and they're sort of, you know, I think they're smarter and cooler than the rest of us. Yeah. So, um, so that that was it. And then it just, I just like it more right now. I, I mean, to me, it's just more interesting because I feel like it, it pushes me to 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 think new and to think from a different perspective. I like it more. Thank you. And we're excited. I mean, and that's the great thing about being on NBC too, because they they have shows like that, and we have uh, we have a, a really cool a really cool cast with a wide you know diverse set of viewpoints. It's going to be great. Yes, it will. Anyone else? Right. Um, after, I guess, your, your breaking in point, have you found that your actual writing process has changed at all? I mean, obviously, there are different demands on your time now because you're going on meetings and all the presentations, and sometimes you have like a cut that you're working on and all of that. But in terms of like the actual putting the words to the paper, has that changed for you at all? You know, my process was always like, pretty messy. It was pretty scattered. It was sort of whatever works at the time. You know, like if note cards are working in that moment for me, I'm gonna go with note cards. If it's just a couple bullet, if it's just a list of bullet points in, a, in my journal, that'll work too. If I need to sit, like with with Reverie, I feel like I, I had learned a, a certain set of bad habits over two years of writing, uh, excellent, and picked up some bad things. And so, like part what? Of, uh, you know, it's it stretching out in a pile of cocaine. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. I said bad habits. Uh, those, uh, so there's a thing that happens in you know television a lot, and it happens more frequently in broadcasts. But it happens everywhere, which is you know a character says, "I'm going to go do a thing," and then you go see them do the thing. And afterwards, like I just came from doing this thing, and you because it's the easy way you can explain everything, right? And you can think. Uh, you, 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 you know, feel like you got to handhold people through it. Um, and a lot of times the people who give you those notes are right about that stuff because people aren't there. You know, I'm, I do it now when I'm at home. I'm, I'm watching, I'm half watching the show sometimes and I'm half, uh, you know, swiping through stuff. Not Silicon Valley, by the way. Uh, <laughs> that one I made. Uh, so, so there was a certain amount of that that I had to get away from, um, 
formulaic things too. So I, I gave myself a reverie. I, I knew a, a, I knew the first few beats and I knew where I wanted where it to end. And I gave myself a period to just write and discover. Like I had a target toward the end. I didn't go and you know like wandering blind with the force, but I I had to let myself kind of kind of go for it. Uh, but now really like the the thing about my writing process is a little different. Is that uh, I have mistresses, which are like the scripts that are not reverie, and I have to I have to visit them on the weekends in secret. Uh, <laughs> please, uh, please tell me you do that in a seedy hotel room. Right? I do in a seedy hotel room. It's a dark coffee shop, yeah. Um, but uh, because um, that's when it's just for me again, you know, like the reverie belongs to everybody else now. It belongs to the showrunner. It belongs to the network. It belongs, but now, but I have something else that's just mine still, and it's. Uh, a thing that that isn't subject to criticism yet, um, and it's and it brings me joy in that sense too. And I found that uh, I started doing that in season two of Accent on the weekend. I would take Saturday Sunday. I would find a couple hours to go to my favorite coffee shop and keep writing something new, um, and and just to keep that the sort of joy of it. But uh, but but I tell you what, I, what's what's good about TV writing now is like that train is on the once that train is on the tracks, it never stops. And so I learned to write sitting in my car while I was waiting for notes calls for 15 minutes. I learned to write laying on the, the bed in the in the kids set, you know, an exit for an hour in between setups. I learned to write everywhere as opposed to like, yeah, whatever the mood hits, man. I'm just gonna, you know, I wait for the muse to arrive. Like it doesn't, it's not, the muse is your notes call. <laughs> or the muse is the line producer. Like, where's my script, man? So, yeah, so that changed my process a little bit. Uh, what was something that you wish you had been told before this whole process started? Like some like flag. That's a really good question. I'll tell you. I, I um, and by the way, you and I shared a great. Uh, Back and forth because because uh, Uba was already in a writer's room and and she and so we were she, she was like I'll tell you a bit what I'm learning from the inside and I was like I'll tell you what I learned from pitching the thing and that ended up uh, being something that really helped me. Um, but I think the biggest thing I wish people ask me like what do you what did you learn and I was to me the biggest thing I've learned is like it's a miracle that anything is ever great, uh, let good let alone great <laughs> because there's so many things that can happen along the way. It's like. Um, and I always say, like, starting with me, starting with yourself. It's like you can totally miss the forest for the trees, you know. And, and every and every every script that you're that you're writing, and then it's and then it goes, it passes through so many processes and so many people. And then there's time and money, you know, all that kind of stuff. Or it's like you, you know, you lose an actor, or you, you know, you cast somebody who's great in the audition, and 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 they're not. Or, and, you, and midway through, you change the character to something totally different. And so now you're like trying to put, you know put a square peg in a round hole. And actors, that happens. I'm so sorry. Um, and it's not your fault when it happens. Um, but so that kind of stuff, I feel like I, I was a lot more, I think I was a lot more opinionated about other people's shows before I started doing this one. And now I'm just like, God bless you. Like if you may, if you get an hour of television on the air, man, it's, that's a phenomenal feat, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Hey, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Last question. Then we've got to get out of here. I just want to know what is your process in the writer's room and working with the other writers and how do you get them? Um, yeah, I'm gonna say right now the the showrunner really leads the room. You know, he's he's really the person driving the room, and so um, the the process usually tends to be uh, if we're what we did. I'll, I'll tell you just a little bit about the show because there are, there is kind of like this sort of episodic adventure thing. You know, not adventure, but but mystery at the center of each of these episodes. We spent a couple weeks just sort of like you know called blue skying. What are the kinds of stories we could tell? You know, the what are the places we'd want to visit? If you could go anywhere, if this the whole thing is about designing your your, your ultimate uh, virtual escape, where would you want to go? What would you want to do? 
in a jet. In a jet, exactly. <laughs> that could slam on the brakes, man. Right. Uh, and so that, so we would talk about those kind of things. And then when it comes down to breaking an episode, really is like there's a few days of talking about what is the beginning, beginning, middle, and end of the story. Where are the twists and turns that you know like we're going to want to see the act breaks. You know, uh, um, how does she figure out why this person is stuck and, and all that kind of stuff? Um, and then once you're once you're sort of laid out the broad strokes of it, then it becomes about scene by scene. Um, and and so it's really it's a very uh, democratic process. There are seven or eight people in there. Um, everybody's pitching ideas. He's he is, does a lot of uh, curating and synthesizing things. Um, I'm there to you know to pitch just like all the other writers too, and to um, and then to be kind of a resource for somebody to go like, does that feel like the show, and or does that how do you feel about that? Because that's about that really kind of shifts the mythology a little bit going forward. And so I, so I'm the kind of voice of that, you know, the guy who's been living with it for a year. Um, yeah, and then once once the, the the this one's a little different. Like before, it's they're so heavily serialized. Like I just worked on the strain, or like we did this on X and two, like scene by scene. You would beat them out in pretty heavy detail. I don't know about you guys, how like your experience with like for us was like you know the image going into the scene, what it's about, sort of the image going out of the scene, and almost Breaking Bad was this way too. I, I remember hearing, which is like at that point on the board, the episode exists in those cards. Almost any writer could take that and write that episode from it. Um, ours is a little different than that. It's not as much detail because um, there are a lot of writers who are used to this, this procedural model too. They came from shows like The Mentalist, that's too. We had a little more writer freedom uh, to sculpt the story too. I did say last, but I think Camille has one, given she's a writer. Yeah, I'm just so curious about your relationship with sci-fi. I'm a sci-fi fiend, and it's where the majority of my ideas that would have shown it. But um, I just want to know about like how, you know, Absolutely. <laughs> um, I went through a period right before I moved out here, shortly before I moved out here. Like the stuff, I told you I made independent films and things like that, too, and they tend to be very small, kind of niche things. They were... Um, or small drama, sports drama, and then there was another comedy. Um, but I wasn't writing sci-fi. I wasn't. But I had to come to this point where I, I realized by myself. I, I wrote these uh, a series of plays for this theater in Kentucky, and they were all for Halloween, and they're all so they're all genre plays. And the first one was uh, Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Then we did Frankenstein, the Dracula, and then I did two original things. And by the end of those two original things, I was like, I'm an idiot for not writing these things more. I was thinking very much like an independent. Film director, producer, like what are the what's the small thing I could make? Like getting my friends and shooting in my parents' garage. Um, but I had to come to a grips with myself and go like, if I'd seen my movie listed in a festival brochure, I wouldn't have gone to see it. Like it wouldn't have been the first five movies I would have gone to see. But I would have gone to see Primer, which is this weird little time travel movie. Uh, that would have been first on my list. And then I had to realize like, okay, I'm I'm a person who goes to see the genre movie every you know like whatever it is, Aliens. People in tights, capes, uh, robots, <laughs> ghosts. Like, I'm there Friday night to see those movies, and that's the kind of stuff that I love. And I realized, like, I've been that way all my life. I'm a kid. My earliest memories want to see Star Wars. So I had to realize, like, I should be writing the thing that I really want to watch. Uh, and, and, and that's mostly what I love to watch. And then for me, the other thing is, too, because I'm a huge Twilight Zone fan. And the thing that Twilight Zone fan, he's, he's an all-time hero of mine, Rod Serling. Because you can use it as a Trojan horse to talk about other things. So, for instance, uh, you know, Reverie right now is really sort of, is about empathy, which is something I feel like we're in danger of losing right now. I feel like we need to look around wherever you are and see uh, the danger of that, especially like in the you know in the comment section of Deadline articles. Um, so, uh, so <laughs> a loss of empathy there, um, and so it becomes so that to me is like the real the real gift of it is to if you can use it if you can get these you know cool characters. Great worlds, um, but you can also use it to talk about important things. 
All right. By the way, um, <clears throat> I also think I, I'm a firm believer that there is something to be gained from watching terrible scripts. Absolutely. And I would suggest Valerian. Uh, <laughs> from a, no, no, from a script point of view. For, yep. Forget the special effects. I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't seen it yet, no. From a script point of view, there are so many wrong turns in that thing. It's a lovely lesson to go and watch and be like, wow, look at that chunk of exposition that they've just dropped in there because they really needed to do this. And look at the way they, this character has nothing to do and it came and went. And it's like, so it's really, it's a really good thing sometimes to go and see bad scripts. We'll do it. Yeah. So anyway, um, thank you so much. You've been listening to Mickey Fisher, creator of Extant and Reverie. My takeaway from listening to Mickey, first, dreams can come true. I mean, really, Steven Spielberg and Halle Berry? Come on. Second, the whole dream coming true thing requires hard work, ongoing commitment, passion, and a willingness to persist, which sucks. I know we all want to wake up and be writing the next Star Wars or Oscar-winning indie, but it's never that easy. Third, write film scripts or TV series you would watch. Interesting question to ask. Would I go see this? If the answer is no, then I guess there are a bunch of follow-up questions you need to ask yourself. We'll be back soon with another interesting industry insider. If you'd like to join us, go to our website, livereadla.com. You can submit a script, show up to a future reading, whatever you want. And feel free to share this podcast with friends, family, and fellow writers. We're here to help. Thanks for listening, and hang in there. Now get back to work. Everybody.